Let's take our Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 as we walk through Philippians verse by verse on Sunday mornings. Um, Before we jump in, I would just like to say thank you, choir, for that amazing music. Amen? Let's give the Lord praise for that. That, um, Awesome. You know, music is a powerful, powerful thing. When you combine powerful music with passionate voices, with biblical lyrics, it is a powerful, powerful thing. And this may be somewhat awkward before we continue on, but I just want to uh, recognize a couple of people that drove, was it 13 hours? Was it 13? Barry and Helene drove uh, from Louisiana uh, here and got uh, in town about 7 a.m. this morning, and they said, we want to go to church. And I just want you to know as a church, and y'all, I love you, I don't, I don't mean, I don't, I don't do this very often because I know it embarrasses people, but something like that is so encouraging. Um, ben, I think we've got something else on other than my mic. And um, I just want to thank y'all for that. And just thank you as a church. Um, I know, and thank you so much, Praise Band, for the time that you put in. And the praise stuff may be new um, for some of you, but our desire is as a church to use whatever talents God has given us and whatever way we can do to make His name known is being great. Okay? And if you're a person who all you like is the newer stuff and you can't worship with a hymn, that's a heart problem. And here's why. Because what you're saying is that I need a certain set of musical devices or a certain beat in order to tell God how great He is. We should tell how God how great He is without any instruments at all. Amen? And if you may be somewhat more traditional and you refuse to worship with some of the newer stuff because it may be somewhat new to you, and even though the words are biblical, that is a heart problem because what you're saying is that I need a certain set of musical instruments and a certain set rhythm in order for me to tell God how great He is. God is great, period. And we will at Rocky Mount Baptist Church use every way that is legitimate, that is biblical, that is God honoring, whether it be modern worship, whether it be traditional. The praise band is going to start working on some um, Southern Gospel forward slash honky tonk. We don't know how that's going to go over because some of you may flat foot and that's okay. The choir sometimes when they get down on it, I see some head bobbing going on out there of all ages. So what we're simply saying here is that worship If you're taking notes, please write this down. If you're an auditory learner here, please remember it. Worship is about God. It's not about you. Worship, musical worship, what we're about to do, studying God's Word is worship. Worship is about God and not about you. And if I can be very honest, if we could just get down to what we call the nitty-gritty If we truly worship God in spirit and truth, it may not be like what most of us think worship is. It may be like in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. He didn't run around and do the happy feet dance. He did not do a shouting run down the aisles. He did not do the traditional Baptist worship. And that's about all the movement you get out of them. He said, when he saw God, he said, woe is me. 
I am a man of unclean lips. Any of y'all had to repent this week or need to repent about what came out here? And I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Woe is me, I am undone. You see, when we see God for who He is, often the first step of worship is to just crash to our knees and say, God, I am unworthy even to have Your mercy to be here to worship You. To have the frame of mind to understand that You are great. Not to be in a coma in a hospital. So every week when we come to worship, may God forgive us if we bring a selfish agenda, whether whatever style you may like or prefer, because here's the freeing part. When we understand that worship is about God and it's not about us, guess what? If it's not exactly to our liking, it's okay. Instead of everything is ruined, I'm going to go put up a fuss. I'm going to cross my arms. I'm going to go home and and talk to my family. And I'm going to gripe and I'm going to moan. It's okay because it's not about me. Wow, we're going to look at something this morning from um, Philippians chapter 2 and verses 25 through 30 about a young man named Epaphroditus whose life was not about himself. Now, last week, we tried to do something here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church that was foolish from the start. We tried to cover verses 19 through 30 in a Sunday morning session. And I figured, I said, we're just going to give this one a try, but we try not to gloss over God's Word. So we took about 40, close to 50 minutes to get through about uh, four verses or so. So there, but this morning we're going to look at Epaphroditus, Philippians chapter two, and we're actually going to begin to read there in verse 19 and go through verse 30 so that we take it in context. All right. Y'all ready? Okay, let's do this. Philippians two nineteen. the Bible says, this is the apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And here's our verses for today. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister in my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also. Lest I have sorrow, I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be anxious, may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Public service announcement. Beginning next week for three weeks, 
I'm going to depart from Philippians, and we're going to look at a three-week series on Christians in the public square or Christians and politics. That's, that's what I thought. In fact, every person who has mentored me, um, professors that I respect, fellow pastors, friends, uh, colleagues that are studying, getting PhDs, I have sent all of them messages, and I have said, I am going to, next week, address the subjects of how Christians should approach the economy, the poor and the rich, health care, um, the national debt, finances on a national level. And I said, I know the minefield that I am walking into. Okay? And I also understand that I am in a swing state. Okay? That's just the way it is. I do not endorse candidates from the pulpit. I don't think that's my job. And in most elections, if you're too dumb to figure that out on your own, if you need me to sit there and tell you exactly what to do, that's a really weird relationship. That's almost like I'm your pope, and I don't want to be anybody's pope. If I get married, I'll call my kids. I'll say, I'm your papa, I'm your daddy. Right? Use the old man line. I can take brought you into the world. I can take you out of the world. Use that. But I am no one's pope. All right? I am no one's father. But... I don't know if that was too far, but I'm just going to move past that. Uh, that was not in my notes, believe me. Um, say, Lord, pray for his filter. Pray for it. All right. But I am your pastor. And I have my political beliefs and you have your political beliefs. And every single one of you has been hit over this past year every time you turn around with political stuff. And often Christians have legitimate questions like, what are Christians to think about these issues? We will discuss many of the things that divide people and things that Christians can have disagreements on and still have fellowship. Okay, There's a lot of stuff that we can have disagreements on. But what we're going to look at is the biblical principles that undergird certain policies and certain policies that absolutely go against the Bible. Next week, I'm going to step into a proverbial minefield. Um, feel free to bring a friend. I am more than open to dialogue. Okay, But as your pastor, I think it is my job to tell you what the Bible says about these issues. And if I can take an axe to the head of the snake that says, we need to keep religion out of politics, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because what they are telling you is that your religion, go read my article newsletter. I haven't received any negative emails. I'm, I mean, I've, I, it's been online. It's been out there print. Go get a, a newsletter. And that is what I think is going to be the umbrella of what we're going to talk about. When people tell you that religion shouldn't have any place in politics, what they're really saying is that religion doesn't have anything to do. We, religion, we don't mean trying to get to heaven by good works. We mean, you know, for that discussion, faith in Christ in the Bible. They mean it's not real. I mean, economics, science, military issues, that has to do with politics. But faith in Christ has some, it's somewhere in the realm of the tooth fairy and Santa Claus. That doesn't too often come out. So we're just going to look at the biblical issues. The week after, we're going to look um, at a biblical look at homosexuality. I'm going to, as best God gives me strength, give us a biblical picture of what it is, what it is not. We're going to look at um, questions like, is homosexuality a sin worse than other sins? We're going to address it from the standpoint of if you have friends, family members, co-workers that are either homosexual or they have someone close to them um, who is in that lifestyle, how to handle that from a gospel perspective and not come off in a way that, that, that pushes people away, but instead tries to throw the lifeline to people. Just so you get it in your head, 
the abortionists, people who have had abortions, the homosexuals are not our enemies. They are our mission field. All right? Think about that until we come to this. They are our mission field. God has placed us here to love them, to tell them the truth of the gospel. And finally, um, two weeks from today, um, I will address the subject of abortion and what the Bible says about it and how we as Christians should approach politics from that standpoint. And already I know there's a lot of questions. A lot of us have been told things um, like never discuss religion and politics. That is horrible, terrible advice. I'm already getting in trouble saying that because I know I'm offending people. But we will look at God's Word on how our faith in Jesus Christ and the morality that stems from that cannot be separated from the way that we make decisions, most of all, decisions for who's going to run our country. All right? So, you can go ahead and let the phone calls and the emails fly. Um, You have preparation, and it's just me wanting to do the right thing and uh, do the right thing for the Lord. And I've made a commitment to the Lord, myself, and hopefully to you. I don't know what I'm going to end up being uh, whenever I die, but I will not be a coward. All right? I will not do it. I will not lay my head on my pillow knowing that I took the easy way out, that I lied to people, that people have been deceived because I was too afraid um, that they may be offended or get mad at me. I love y'all. I love the people in our town. I love the United States of America. So I will not be a coward. I will address things as honestly and as biblically as I can. So if you can, and I don't mean this as just a casual thing, we'll pray about this. If you can just pray for me, that God would give me wisdom, because a lot of these things are very emotional. Um, There are many people today who have had abortions that no one else knows about, things along that nature, that God would give me wisdom and grace to say what He said, all right? What He said and not what just politics are. Alright? So, now that we've gotten that awkwardness out of the way, let's get back to the text. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25. Driving thought of last week is the same as today, is that a true bond requires a high-risk commitment. The title of this message would be Band of Brothers Part 2. Here is Paul. He's in prison And he has two young men that he can rely upon to help him out. So here's the question for us today. What kind of high-risk commitment produces a true bond? In order to answer that question, let's look at this guy with somewhat of a funny name, Epaphroditus. And who is he and why does he matter? The name Epaphroditus literally means charming. means pleasant to be around. Here is... Someone who was committed to the Apostle Paul, a man who was willing to put down blood, sweat, and tears of life commitment. Here's a young man who could have done many things, but decided to take an 800-mile journey from his home to where the Apostle Paul was. Now, those of you who went with us to Costa Rica, uh, we could have a testimonial on how exhausting it was to travel back. Amen? Alright? If you have ever been on a road trip, you know it's good if you take the scenic route, but you can get exhausted traveling. Right? It just gets to that point to where it is just like, if I have to see another tree, if we have to go another 50 miles, and then the Lord really blesses you when you're on those family, right? Those family vacations and you're traveling a long distance. I love what Tim Hawkins says. He says, we used to go on long road trips with our family. He says, I would tell my dad, he says, dad, I need to use the restroom. His dad was a tough old Texas guy. No, you don't. 
You know, it's magic. I don't, right? And you're in one of those things and parents, the kids are driving you crazy and you're driving them crazy and you just get exhausted. Imagine how tiring the journey would be in first century, the Roman Empire, 800 miles. Walking, sitting on an animal that is walking, getting on a boat, Writing, it would have been absolutely exhausting. But you know what he said? He says, I'm going to obey. I'm going to take the message, take the ministry from my church and go help an old Christian in prison. I don't know about y'all, but that should fire you up right there. And by the way, all of us have time to use for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care if you are a senior, 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 quadruple senior citizen here today. You can still be used for Jesus Christ. Amen? Right? I mean, some people say, well, you know, I got my foot in the grave. Well, kick the devil in the face with the other foot while you still have use of it. I cannot stand it when people get the defeatist mentality of I am a certain age, therefore I can't do anything for God. I mean, we know that the Apostle John was in his 90s and God decided to give him the book of Revelation. Boom. You talk about sensory overload, like God overload. Imagine you, you're there in the prison and God gives you that vision and then it's finished and you wrote it all down and then your Roman soldier comes and he gives you his your daily food, if you could call it that, and he sees that something happens. He may have just laid it down and run away real quick. We don't know. But we know that all of us have time to use for Christ. And let me just say a word to the young and to the healthy. And that term is very relative. Amen? Help me out now. That was your cue. If you are young and healthy, use your youth. Use your vigor. Use your energy. Use the randomness of school and college vacations for Christ. Begin to think about a mission trip. Those of you say, well, Jeff, I'm not in school, so that doesn't apply to me. You've got vacation. And I guarantee you, if you do something like Epaphroditus did, if you give of your money and you say, you know what, I could go, I could go to Myrtle Beach, I could go to Florida, I could go to, like one, this is my greatest lady I knew in Georgia, she's like, yeah, my son's out there in Hawaii. If you go out to Hawaii or Hawaii, you say, I could go do something like that. And here's the thing. Those vacations are not sin. I want to make that very clear. But I want to put a rock in your shoe for you to begin to think about using your vacation time, your off time, wherever the Lord sends us this next year. Just begin thinking and praying about it. And I guarantee you, you may come home a little tired, but you will be so full of joy. Your life will be changed. And there may be some of you who say, Jeff, I can't go. Why don't you begin to think right now about writing a check to the fund that we have in our budget called the Great Commission Fund. It is for us to go do missions. Why don't you think about sponsoring someone to go on a mission trip? Because when you do that, the Lord has used you to send them to preach the gospel to people who may may not have access to it. So here's what happened is Epaphroditus went all the way to see the Apostle Paul. What kind of high-risk commitments? Produce a true bond. The kind that warrant being called a brother. This is in verse, verse number 25. 
fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, minister. And notice what Paul says in verse 26. He says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was what? That he was ill. You know, we hear a lot of stuff on so-called Christian programming, Christian TV. This is a knockdown argument, just this one verse, on the fact that it is always God's will that you be healed. Epaphroditus was sick to the point of death. But in verse 27, Paul said God had mercy on him. And here's the question. If it was always God's will that we would never get sick, then why didn't Paul just heal Epaphroditus from ever getting sick in the first place? Y'all tracking with me? Paul says right here, the only reason why this guy didn't die is because God sovereignly had mercy on him. So that even lets us know in the book of Acts, when Paul was able to work those miracles, that was a special thing even in the life of the Apostle Paul. So I don't want any of you to think that you are out of God's will if you get sick. Now, if it's from going to a hot dog eating contest and you get sick, that's because you're dumb, all right? It doesn't mean that God hates you, all right? So that's just a common sense measure there. Ed Stetzer said this, From a study of 7,000 churches, we found the majority of people in the majority of churches, they are unengaged in meaningful missions. What he's saying is that most people who go to church, they do exactly that. They go to a church and they attend and they may give and they may attend sporadically. The way that you come to the point of contentment is when you actually plug in and serve. When you plug in and you give of yourself, when you do things that may be somewhat frustrating, that may demand your time, you are putting yourself in the avenue of God's grace being more like Him. Because if we turn back to chapter 2, which is really the fulcrum, by the way, the key to the entire book of Philippians is chapter 2 and verses 5 through 11. We know that Jesus, in verse number 6, being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, if Jesus, if the ultimate example, the ultimate sacrifice, has humbled himself to the point that he died, he died, he brutally was tortured and murdered, Jesus died for us. If we want the blessings of Christ, we put ourselves in the path of sacrificing for other people, which means getting involved. Now, here's something I found interesting. In the secular music world, they have kind of... Realize that commitment is a big thing. Uh, the song, I think it's Tammy Wynette, Stand By Your Man. You like that one, Joseph? Stand by me. Lean on me. You've got a friend in me. Y'all okay? Was that too weird? He did not just do that. What just happened? Think about it. No matter what style of music, if you scan the radio, you find that the world, the lost world, wants commitment, but they don't exactly know what to commit to. So what often happens in relationships is people become elevated to the status of God. 
People give to, a woman gives to a man the, the passion that, and, and the obedience or, or, or the love that she has reserved for God. And then when he disappoints her, which by the way, ladies, that will happen. Somebody don't have to tell me that, right? <laughs> In the same way, what happens is the world's all that they see is other people, and we look at other people as if they're going to fulfill us, and we give them the love and the devotion that we should give to God. And then when they disappoint us, we're absolutely disillusioned. And then we turn it on that one old song, right? Like there's a tear in my beard, and those sad old songs. Help me make it through the night. Where you're just like, man, I wasn't depressed before listening to this, but now somebody give me a Valium, right? Like, I mean, it's just one of those things that the world doesn't know what to commit to. Epaphroditus, a young man, said, I'm going to commit to the gospel. And here's the cool part. Whenever you get serious and say, Jesus, I'm not just going to be one of those church hoppers. I'm not just going to show up and say, what can you do for me this morning? But I'm going to plug in. Whenever you get really passionate for God, guess how it transforms your life? You start plugging in to minister to other people. Always works that way, without exception. You cannot love God and not be invested in other people. Well, they irritate me. Okay. If you're the type of person, I want to get very, very honest. If you're the type of person to where other people infringe upon your schedule too much, if they're not like you enough, if they may irritate you, then you don't understand the gospel. If you understood the gospel, you would see yourself in the story that Jesus told about the man who had borrowed who would be equivalent to somewhere around the area of $20 million, could not pay it back to the king. The king says, all right, it's payday. And we're going to freak out. Like, oh no, my family and my home and everything I have is going to be taken away. But the king says, because I'm rich and because I'm good, I'm going to forgive you your debt. I'm going to absorb your loss. See, that's what Jesus did. He absorbed the wrath of God for us. But then, when we say, I'm too busy, these people are not like me enough, it may be awkward for me, we are the one who have been forgiven the $20 million and go out and choke the one who owes us 20 May it never be for followers of Jesus Christ that we are too busy to invest in people not like us. Alright? May it never be. And if it is, it is God's calling you this morning to repent. I remember my dad said something, and people actually left, left the church in, in Florida. There's a couple. My, my dad said this in a sermon one time. Um, he said that if you're not praying for lost people, then you're in sin. Think about that. If you're not praying for lost people, you're in sin. And you know what a couple in the church who said we don't want to be involved, you know, we don't like the sticky type of ministry, they said that offended us and they left the church. All right? I thought about what my dad said. Because I don't think we should unreasonably offend people. And the more I thought about it, here's what I think about it. If you're not praying for lost people, you're in sin. And you need to repent and you need to ask God to give you His heart to begin to be as broken for the world around you as Jesus was for you. That's 
the gospel. That's what Epaphroditus was doing. You see, often we can come to church and we can look at passages of Scripture and say, what's in it for me? I have to ask. All right? 1 Peter 4, verse 10 says, As each one received a gift, has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. i just be honest with you here this morning. The way that you tell the difference between a true adult and a child is a kid does what benefits them, Right? I mean, once in a while you may have in our nursery back here a kid go and walk up and hand a toy to another kid, but most of the time that comes with training. And if the nursery workers tell the parent, the parent will be like, thank you, Jesus, for blessing my child with some amount of grace, trying to counteract that natural selfishness that we have. A child wants what's best for them, but an adult is going to do what's best for others, and heroes do what's best for people who don't even deserve it. That's the call of the Gospel from this passage to get plugged in with people to serve, to pour yourself out. If you were here last week, you remember we had the glass of water and we poured that water into a bowl to symbolize us pouring our lives out as a drink offering to God. Ed Stetzer said this again, God has not called us to play, pray, and stay out of the way. He has called us all to ministry. We are not called to be customers of the church, but co-laborers in the mission of the gospel. That's a good word, right? And by the way, I don't know about you, but I never enjoyed sitting on the bench. Did you? In the basketball and baseball teams that I played, or you know, the flag football in college, I never enjoyed sitting on the bench, right? I mean, no, nobody does that. So, how's it going on your sports team? Dude, I got the bench covered. It's all day. All day on the bench. Just call me B, right? Like I'm all over that. Just, I, I, no, we don't do that. We say, I got to play first base. I got to play outfield. I was able to hit the ball. I was able to block that shot. It was awesome. When I was driving down the lane, I threw the ball off the glass and Fred came behind and did a tomahawk jam. I mean, just that type of teamwork that you get in the gospel. I'm just telling you. For some of you, if you're sitting on the sidelines... You, you, by the way, some of you may... And this is the way it happens. And I know this is true. Very honest. Some of you say, well, look, I'm reading here about Epaphroditus and he's sacrificing for Paul. And Paul's speaking so highly of him. It seems like they're both okay with the other one doing okay. But Jeff, I've been a part of a church and the pastor has been vindictive. He's been cruel. He's been selfish. He has lied. I just don't know if I can trust you. Guess what? I know there's a lot of people in this world who have been done wrong by pastors. And I just want to say, because I am one, I'm sorry. But please don't let an experience with a pastor cut off your following Jesus. Okay? Pastors are one thing. Jesus is a totally different Ball game. Jesus will never lead you astray. Jesus will never lie to you. Jesus will never be vindictive to you. Jesus is your Savior. He loves you. So don't let other people get in the way of serving God. If you're saying, Jeff, I don't know if, I, if I'm ready to join up yet, just ask yourself the question, when is a better time to start serving Jesus in a local church? Now, I love this here in verse number 26. Notice what Epaphras' emotions were. When he heard about people hearing he was ill, he was distressed. 
Now this word, I looked it up. It's in, if you're taking notes, Matthew chapter 26, verse 37, and Mark 14, 33. If you remember those passages, this is these, this blew my mind. The same word for distressed is the same word used to describe Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? The type of distress when Jesus began to be anxious of soul, when all of the weight of God's wrath began to press down upon Jesus, He began to feel the magnitude of what it meant to be the sacrificial lamb. He began to feel how heavy the burden was to step in and take the bullet for you and I. It is the same word that is used here. Man, this is so powerful. You know what this means? That when he was sick, when he was ill, he did not sit around wondering if he was going to get a call from his Sunday school class. Praise God. He was worried about other people being worried about him. Did you catch that? Contrary to the church is all about me, he was torn up emotionally because he's thinking there are people who are torn up for me. They think I'm going to die. I don't want to inconvenience other people. I don't want to be the center of attention. Jesus is my Lord. I'm serving the old Apostle Paul here. That's enough. And may it be in our lives, church, that when we go through those valleys, it would be so much to the point that we say, you know what, do I have reasons to complain? In one sense, yes. Epaphroditus was sick. How many of you like to be physically ill? Nobody, right? Nobody's ever said, I want to be ill. We think the fact that he was away from home. He was away from family and friends. He was simply with the Apostle Paul. And often that would be enough to get us going. But he doesn't complain about any of that. He's worried that other people are worried about him. And here's the Apostle Paul. Don't you love this? He says it back in verse 25. He's my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, minister of my need. And then he says over in verse uh, number 28, he says, I am the more eager to send him. Don't you see how free these guys are? You got one and he's in prison. He's free. He's got a good guy there to help him. You know what most of us would do if we had been forsaken by everybody else except for Timothy? We'd say, well, I need another one. I want to keep you. I want to hold on to you. You're my only buddy here except for Timothy. There's only the three of us. Let's try to start this thing and insulate each other and get each other's back. But Paul says, you know what? Go. Go back to the home church. He is so free. And I think so many of us, we get caught up in this cultural thing of trying to accumulate possessions or accumulate people to make us feel good. You know, like a woman wants a man and a man wants a woman. Those are all good God-honoring, if it's in the context of marriage, good desires. But don't you think it's high time that some of us who've been saved for a while come to the point to say, Jesus, if all I have is You, You've promised to give me all I need. And if you have me in the palm of your hand, I don't want to lose my family. I don't want to have a death of a loved one. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want my bank account to be tanked out any more than it already is. But God, if that's in your plan, what happens? Lord Jesus, you have me. So I'm okay with you taking things sometimes. It breaks the chain of self-absorption. Finally here, 
In verse number 29, Paul says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Verse 30, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what is lacking in your service to me. What an awesome, awesome picture. You know, some of us, if the truth be told, we get nervous when other people do well. Okay? We're not going to raise our hands in confession here this morning. But if it is the case that when other people do well, when they are affirmed by others, and you kind of feel that little claw of insecurity hit inside your heart, you know what we need to say is, Lord, You are my Lord and my Savior, so if my wife, if my husband, if the person I don't like very much, if you choose to bless them, if you choose to give them gifts, if you choose to have people like them more than they like me, guess what? More power to them. They are so free. Epaphroditus says, I'll give my time, my money. The Apostle Paul says, I am secure enough. I hope that this sinks in. I am secure enough to give props, to give encouragement, to give public acclamation to people that I don't have to be threatened. Isn't it a good place to be where you don't have to be threatened? Right? Ladies, you don't have to be threatened by another woman who you believe is more beautiful than you are. Guys, we don't have to be threatened by the success of other men. We have Jesus. And when it's all said and done, that's all that matters. So we need to rip it out of our mind and and, and our glasses that get fogged up. Remove that when the world tells us you've got to have all of these things. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, if we seek first the kingdom of what? Help me out, church. The, the kingdom of God, right? And His righteousness, all of these things will be added unto you. You see, God knows exactly what you need. Like the old southern gospel song, four days late, but still on time. William Carey, when he died, he breathe this to the Scottish missionary there with him named Alexander Duff. He said, when I'm gone, say nothing about Dr. Carey. Speak only about Dr. Carey's Savior. When I'm gone, when I'm done, when I die, even though he had many accomplishments, don't speak about me. Speak about my Savior. And when we allow the Christ first in everything mentality to soak into our mind and our heart, it will set us free to the point that we can be almost alone in prison and willing to send away the one person that the church sent to us to encourage us. Not only that, we can be secure enough. And by the way, if you want to write this down, when it says um, in... Um, that he, in verse number 29, to honor all men. Verse 30, he nearly died for the work of Christ. The word there, risking, was a term um, that had to do with putting yourself in harm's way. Say, now, Pastor Jeff, where are we going this next year on a mission trip? We've got some great ideas yet, but God has not said absolutely here. I would not purposefully bring you into a place that I knew that physical harm was going to happen. But I want to ask each and every one of you to consider, would we be willing to take the gospel to a place that involved us 
being physically harmed. Just think about it. The fact that we are here today is evidenced by missionaries hundreds of years ago taking the gospel into places that were not safe. I don't know about you, but I ask the Lord all the time to change my mind and my heart from ever saying that my life is too valuable to risk for the gospel.